Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. are grateful for the promises of kingdom communion? Two, three, four, five. Yeah. Hey, we, we get all the promises that Jesus paid for. We really do. You know, we, we, because of kingdom communion, the little cup we took and all that, that's a big deal. You realize we, we join people worldwide in celebrating that we're a forgiven people. Once for all, we're free, we're forgiven, And not only that, we get to be the hinge between heaven and earth. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not our own. We're bought with a price. That's Jesus' blood. And so therefore, we get to be like the temple in the Old Testament, except we hinge heaven and earth. That's all free. That's good news. We're, We're in this series. When life gets tough, when life gets tough, I think we need to remember who we are and what we have and, and what Jesus has done for us. The, the truth is that some of us in this very room are going through the most difficult season of your entire life. You really are. You know why it's so difficult? Because, because you can't budget for what's going on around us, can you? I mean, we have one of the uh, most um, unpredictable times in the history of our world. But can I tell you that really every season of life is difficult? Isn't that encouraging? You know why every season of life? Well, let me ask you, how many of you would like to be 13 years old again? That's a tough season, right? I mean, our 13-year-olds are doing great, okay? But I remember 13. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of awkwardness and hormones and life is crazy, and you're, Right? Every season is super hard, and all the parents said, amen. It's tough, right? But the reason why every season is tough is because of uncertainty, right? You've ne- you're only as old as you've ever been, right? That's profound, isn't it? You're only as old as you've ever been. And so there's uncertainty. There is a, a kind of this unknown thing. It's like, wow, I'm, I just feel insecure, Can I tell you what? That's why we have the body of Christ. That's why we have the family of God. We need each other. And each one of us are going through, we're in different seasons of life, different times in life, and we need each other. I need you young people to help me figure out how to turn my computer on, okay? But you also need some of the stuff that I can offer. I remember as a a young guy and... uh, I would talk to my grandparents, Papa and Mama, and I would ask them. They just had a way of just kind of calming me down. I mean, they'd been through world wars, depression. They'd been through it all. And when they would say, you know, Stevie, it's going to be all right. I believed them because they had, they had some... They had some credibility. They had some street cred. They had gone through stuff. And we need each other, right? You know, we need, to, we need to know what's been paid for for us. We need to know who we are. But we need to understand that we are the family of God. And in just a few moments, we're going to go out those doors and we're going to celebrate my, my very favorite Sozo Church family celebration is water baptism. 
Because when we go out there, we're going to say to those candidates, you guys belong. You're part of this family. You're part of a 2,000-year-old family tradition, right? And, and you get to participate, and you get to belong, and you get to be a part of that. And so that, that's part of what we're doing here. But, you, you know, the truth is, this faith that we have was never meant to be lived alone. We really need each other. And we need people that are special friends, close friends, what I call garden friends. Do you remember um, Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus and his guys? We're gonna work toward that and beyond the garden. How many of you know it's kind of like the Alamo. The Alamo really didn't turn out all that well for us. You remember that? We celebrate, remember the Alamo. We lost, guys, right? When I, when I say remember Gethsemane, wasn't a great moment for the disciples, those who are with Jesus, okay? But it was a beginning point for something incredibly great on the other side of the cross, See, see when, we, when we take the cup and we remember that, we're celebrating the other side of the cross. We're celebrating when Jesus was looking forward to something, a new covenant in his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. We're looking at something that was yet to come. And so there's some of us here today, we're going, wow, I need some yet to come. You need some yet to come, okay? And so I asked some folks, I said, what is a true friend to you? And... and um, I got some great answers, but one of the things that is stirred up, I began to think about what was it like to be Jesus' friend in his childhood, right? Every, every, did your mind ever go there? I had a friend give me a couple of years ago a book entitled Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Jesus' Childhood Pal, okay? <laughs> great theological treatise. I would encourage, no, it's not. Not a theological recommendation. In fact, there's some things in it you would probably go, oh my goodness, I can't believe Pastor Steve recommended that. But you know what it does is it helps you imagine, I wonder what it had been like to be one of Jesus's childhood friends. You know, Jesus was already connected. He was already attached to his father. He was growing in wisdom and favor with God and with man, the scripture says. So he's becoming but he understands early on it's all about connection, attachment to his father. How many of you know that's really the answer to everything? It's our connection. It's our attachment. It's our oneness. It's our union with father. And so Jesus is modeling this stuff. And, and so you, you can imagine what that might have been like. But we don't know much about Jesus' early childhood friends. But we do know something about his adult friends. And that's what I want us to look at today. And uh, I'm gonna skip my, my part about what is a true friend. I think you know what a true friend is. A, friend who is. a true friend is someone who shows up. A true friend is someone who is loyal. A true friend is, is somebody who, when you're just totally distorted and messed up and disillusioned, by the way, how many of you know it's not bad to be disillusioned? It means your illusion has been removed, Okay. But they say, they straighten you out and they give you God's mind, God's perspective. They're the kind of people that whenever you call, you're broken down in the middle of nowhere at two in the morning, they will come. 
When you have an emergency and you need somebody to watch your child while you're tending to that, they come. That's what a garden friend is. Somebody that you really connect with, somebody that really knows you, somebody that you really know. And we all need those kind of people. So Jesus had those kind of people. I want us to, to just kind of walk through a little bit of, of time here and look at how Jesus came to know these guys and what it looked like when the chips were really down, okay? So let's look at the first, first uh, slide here in Matthew chapter four. Jesus is beginning his ministry here and it says in Matthew four, starting with verse 18, so Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee and he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting their nets in the lake for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Peter said, or Jesus said, and I will make, I will send you out to fish for people at once. Everybody say at once. At once they left their nets and followed Jesus. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee. Preparing their nets, Jesus called to them, and immediately, everybody say immediately? Immediately, immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed Jesus. These are what I call immediate people. I mean, they just, boom, they follow Jesus. But let me give you a little context of why they were so immediate. You know, you know before every great awakening, there's usually a rude awakening right? And so these are some guys. Here's their context. Here's the story. They um, are, well, I'll tell you what, they're dropouts. They flunked out of rabbi school, and they've gone back to work for their, for their daddies, okay? Zebedee and the, uh, Peter and, and Andrew's daddy, whatever he, Mr., Mr., whatever, Okay, so they, they go back. Here's the, here's the deal. I'll give you a little bit of Jewish history. You're always gonna get a little history with me, so you just gotta, gotta enjoy it. So, Bet Sefer, everybody say Bet Sefer. Okay, close enough. Six to 10 years of age, young men would go to Bet Sefer and they would uh, study uh, the Torah. They would memorize the entire first five books of the Old Testament. And so, if you were really good and you, uh, this was called the house of the book, if you went through and you did really good, only the best of the best moved on, okay? So the next group was called uh, Bat Talmud, and this is from age 10 to 14. And so uh, Talmud is learning, it's the house of learning. And so during this period of time, you would memorize the entire Old Testament, me go, man, I don't think I would have been one of the best of the best in that. That's a lot. And they also learned the, the kind of the, the whole uh, question and answering process. You ever notice how Jesus answers most questions with a question? Okay, that's part of the Hebrew rabbinical training of the day. That's just kind of how they did it. And so you would learn all about that. And if you were in the best of the best, then you would move forward. Now, the last school was called uh, Midrash or, or Bet Midrash, 14 and older. And so this is, was the uh, house of examination. And what would happen is the uh, rabbi would come and they would look over that uh, group of 14-year-olds and older, 
And if you met up, he would say to you that you can follow me. You have what it takes to be a disciple of mine, a Talmud, a Talmudim. You can follow me and you can be my disciple. You have what it takes, okay? If you did not have what it takes, he would say, instead of follow me, he would say, go ply your trade. That simply means go home and get a job. Get a job with your dad, okay? So when Jesus walks up on these guys, what are they doing? They're plying their trade, right? And so they, they are working for their, their dads. And when Jesus comes up to them, what is he telling them? He's saying, guys, I think you have what it takes. I think you can be like me. Hello? Would you have left immediately? See, can I tell you what? Jesus is still saying that today. He comes up to us. He looks at our situation. He looks what's going on in our life. And he says, listen, I think you have what it takes. You can be my disciple. Come on, follow me. See, but here's the, here's the even better news. Because we live on this side of the cross, he said, not only that, you actually get me to live in and through you. And so these guys, they're going, yay! I mean, they just, you know, I can see Zebedee standing in the boat going, okay, they just left me here. They're gone. They're doing it. So Jesus, the very first time you see these four guys who will become his garden friends, you don't, you don't see Andrew mentioned later, but at least three of these four guys become kind of the inner circle of Jesus, right? And so let me kind of, Mark kind of fleshes this story out a little bit more. Let's look at uh, Mark chapter five, excuse me, chapter one, verses 14 through 15. Mark 1, 14 through 15. This is one of my very favorite passages. It says, John after John was put in prison, that's John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe the good news. And then it goes on and he say, it tells the story in the next verses. Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee. He sees the four brothers and he calls them to come and follow him. Now, Jesus, is, has already, he's, this is his first message, and I want you to see this because it's going to build. See, this is the very beginning. We'll move all the way to the very end, but then we'll look at the end after the end, okay? Can we do that? Because that's where we live. We live at the end after the end. We're in the present right now. But so Jesus looks at them, and he says, whoever them is, if, if, if Peter and his brother um, Andrew and James and John were there or not. I don't know, but he says, look, I want you all to understand, this is my message. It, Jesus says, I'm here, okay? He's here, and he's saying, y'all don't get that because they didn't get that. Everybody's going, okay, you're here, so what? He's saying, no, you don't get it. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Did we put that up on the board, on the screen? Is it up there? Okay, Mark 1, Mark 1, 1450. I, I, I'll get it to you. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. 
What is Jesus telling these guys? I'm looking for people who will think differently. I'm looking for people who will be paradigm busters. I'm looking for people who will dream beyond themselves and beyond anything they've ever experienced before. You know what that's called in most church cultures? Heretics. <laughs> people that will use their hearts and their minds to say, God, I know there's more. I know there's more. And these guys are some of that group. Jesus says, look, the time has come. Everything's about to change. It's the fullness of time. Everything is about to change. It's a kairos moment. And you're gonna be, have to begin with this. You're gonna have to change the way you think. See, Jesus is saying, I'm here to restore what went wrong in the garden. I'm, I'm here to give you some real meaning in life. I'm here to give you a new identity. I mean, they were just happy to quit fish, be quit, no longer fishing. He said, no, you don't get it. It's, this is not going to be rabbi school like you think rabbi school is. We're not going to spend tons and tons of time talking about uh, Moses and how great Moses was. We're going to spend a lot of time talking about how good the heavenly father is and what life in the kingdom of God is like. And so he begins to unpack the whole story and he says, listen, I'm, I'm back. I'm here to restore your life source. I'm here to restore your purpose in life. And so he's saying, essentially, I'm back, now you come back. You come back home. You come back to the purpose that you were created for. And they say, well, okay, that's great. How do I do that? He says, well, listen, you're going to have to change your whole way of thinking. You're going to have to repent. You're going to have to come into alignment with my way of thinking. And here's the tough part, and trust me. And believe me. And you know what they did? They kept following him. They kept following him. Let's look at another passage here. A little time passes, and, and in, uh, we, we pick up in Matthew chapter 16. Still the same guys. He takes the the three with him, the three or four with him. And he says to them in uh, Matthew 7, verses 1 through 9, if we can look at that, Matthew 17, excuse me, Matthew 17, 1 through 9. We have that? Oh, very good. Okay. Matthew 17. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. After six days, what does that mean? After what? A week. You know what happened a week before that? Jesus had met with his guys. He had them all there together. And they said, Jesus asked the great question. He says, who do you guys say that I am? You remember that time? Chapter 16, he says, and Peter steps up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, man, good answer, Peter. Flesh and blood didn't give that one to you. That, that's revelation from God. And I'm gonna build my church on you guys. So he's got these guys together. And they're thinking, man, this, I knew this rabbi school thing would pay off. We're, gonna, we're like at the top of the class. And so it says in verse 17, it says, Jesus takes these guys on a field trip and he leads them up to a high mountain by themselves. Don't you know they were kind of wondering, I wonder what, is this going to be a good trip or what, what are we going to do? And he says, there he was transfigured before them. 
His face was lit up like a light bulb. He, he shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And then, then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah uh, talking with Jesus. And, and they probably felt a little more comfortable because it's like, yeah, back to our roots. Moses, the old covenant man himself there, the, the father of the law, and Elijah, the great prophet of the Old Testament. And so it says they're talking with Jesus. They've got the three there. And in verse uh, five, it says, while he was still speaking, excuse me, verse four, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I'm glad we're on top of this mountain. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love and am well pleased. Listen to him. What's Peter doing? Peter is looking at this situation and he thinks, well, okay, I'm gonna honor Jesus big time. I'm gonna honor Jesus and Moses and Elijah. But there's only one problem. He's degrading Jesus instead of honoring him. He's putting him on the same par as what he was familiar with in the Old Testament, right? Moses and Elijah. He doesn't, even though he's the one who said just six days earlier, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the rescuer. You're the one we've been waiting for. He still didn't get it. Hello? You ever feel that way? You, you know just enough of Jesus to be dangerous, right? And so he's saying, man, let's build some shelters. And look what happens. It says that um, while, he was, while he was speaking that, a voice from the cloud spoke. You ever hear a voice from the cloud? Don't see many hands. Um, and the voice said, this is my son whom I love, who I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Somebody say it with me. Listen to him. One more time. Listen to him. That's part of the shift. That's part of the change. That's part of the paradigm shift. He's, he's, he's getting ready to bust it all up. Look what happens when the, when the disciples heard this voice from the cloud, they fell down on their face and they were terrified. That's what you call the fear of the Lord. They're granting power to something that, that, that they don't understand. There's a voice saying, listen to him. Jesus came down and he touched them. He said, get up, get up, guys. Do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, now, don't let anyone, don't, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. How many of you thought, think they really heard that last part, the Son of Man raised from the dead? They probably missed that because they're thinking, ooh, voice in the sky, 
listen to him. He's important. Look at the next part. When they look up, what happens? The others are gone. They're gone completely. What is God saying? He's saying there's only one voice we listen to today. That's his voice. Jesus is God. Jesus is what you know. You know the the prophetic, the uh, the law. Those are important things. But guess what? Those are menus. Jesus is the meal. And he's saying, listen to the main thing here. But Peter missed it. Peter tried to put everything on the same plane. You know what? You know what the voice is saying. We got to get this. It's Jesus plus. Nothing. Somebody's heard me say that before. It's Jesus plus nothing. He's saying the old has passed away. Behold, new is coming. Okay? Let's go to one more verse here. Turn with me to um, Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. These guys have been with Jesus now for about three and a half years. They have just taken communion together. And it's a, it's, a, it's a Passover supper like no one has ever had before. Because Jesus comes in and he scrambles the paradigm again. He doesn't make it about an exodus. He now makes it about a new exodus. A freedom from an old way of life into a new life, a new kingdom, a new kingdom being conferred upon you, he says. He said, listen, everything's getting ready to change in a matter of hours. His death, his burial, his resurrection is just imminent. And so he takes with him Peter, James, and John. And Scripture tells us, if, if, you have, if you have a copy of your Scripture, it says in Mark 14, verse 32, do we have that up there? It says this, that they went, from a play, went to a place called Gethsemane. You know what Gethsemane means? It means oil press. Some of you are in an oil press right now. You know, what oil, you know what oil is a picture of? Holy Spirit. You know what press is a, is a picture of? Pain, right? And the Holy Spirit is saying, oh, I got you in a good place now. It might look really crazy, but I am expanding your capacity. I'm building you to carry the stuff that's beyond your human ability to carry. Got one um out of it. That's okay. That's, be that's better than, than no ums. So he says, he says, they came to the oil press and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. What do you think prayer between Jesus and his father looked like? Dad, I, I, I know I gotta do this. My humanity is screaming. 
Jesus is identifying us, identifying with us in this place as the God-man, 100% God, 100% man, and saying, I am feeling the oil press. I am feeling it right now. Some of us right now, you're feeling the oil press. And the disciples are not going to be at their best moment here. Because they're in the oil press too. It says, they came along with in verse 33, Peter, James, and John, and began, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said. Stay here, keep watch. Luke 22 says that by now, sweat drops of blood are coming from Jesus. He's in turmoil, he's in sorrow, he's in grief. He's at the point of premature death. Part of Jesus' prayer is, is, is actually this, God, don't let, don't let this sorrow kill me because I've got things to do that you've called me to. And so he goes a little further in verse 35, going on a little further, he fell down to the ground and he prayed. If possible, that the hour pass from him. Prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Verse 36, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I want, but you will. See, Jesus, Jesus is fulfilling his high priestly position and call that we read about in, in uh, Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, where he's endured. He's gone through every single thing that we will ever go through. Now look at his guys here. It says, he returns to his disciples, verse 37, and he finds them sleeping. Simon said to, uh, Simon said to Peter, Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you, so that you will not fall into temptation for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. See, Jesus is giving them a key to on the other side of the cross is gonna be their salvation, is gonna be their strength, is gonna be their hope, is gonna be the things that help us in the, in the oil press. And that is connect with the spirit of God because it's who you were made to be. Your, 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 your flesh is strong. It's screaming out. But your spirit is your answer. Once more, he went away and prayed, and the same, prayed the same thing, and he came back, and again he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They'd had a whole bunch of wine. I don't know if you've ever been to a Jewish Seder. There's a lot of that. And they're getting tired, getting sleepy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough, the hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Can I give you some good news? This is not the end of this motley crew of Jesus's. These same guys, Peter, who will betray Jesus, before he ever gets to the cross, all the rest of them dispersed. The only one at the cross was John, right? 
Good garden friends, right? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been betrayed? Have you ever been a betrayer? When the chips were down, whenever the people needed you most, can I tell you, there's a frailty about us that will choose the easier way every time if we're in the flesh. If we're in our own strength, if we are feasting out of the tree of knowledge instead of the tree of life. But can I tell you, there's good news to the way this story turns because in 50 days, everything will shift. In just a few days from Good Friday, which was the hardest, most miserable day in, in, in the history of mankind, Sunday comes and Jesus is raised from the dead. These guys who had totally abandoned him were not even at the cross, are scared to death and Jesus walks into the room that Sunday evening and he says, it's time. He says, as the Father send me, sent me, I'm sending you and he breathed on them the breath of his spirit. They were changed. They were different guys from that moment forward. And gals, there were women in that room too. And they received the spirit of the living God. And for the first time they got it, we're a forgiven people. We're a hinge between heaven and earth. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Life is different now. 50 days later, Peter is standing up, the guy who, who cowers to a little girl at, at a fireside, the guy who is, is at Gethsemane, sound asleep, knocked out, he's wired and wide awake because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes in power and he's, he's preaching Pentecost message. The guy who wasn't even at the cross, he's changed. And if you follow the story of all of those guys, their life had been so transformed that even in the midst of tremendous persecution in those early days of the church, they thrived. They made it forward. And we are here today because of them. What about your life? What will be said of you Years from now, will they remember great, great grandpa, grandma? Will they remember you? How will they remember you? You know, the, the truth is we need each other. I, I'm so blessed. I have some groups of people that, uh, I've got a group of pastors that meet once a month. And one of our, our pastors, we just, we, it's a safe place. We share life together. One of the pastors says, the most impactful meeting of my entire month is this meeting right here. I will never miss an opportunity to be with people who can bring courage to my soul. We need people like that in our life, don't we? You know, my favorite kind of garden friends are people that I can meet with and dream with and share half-baked stuff with and know that they won't make, it won't get out in public and I'm branded a heretic. How many of you know you need safe places where you can just be, right? We need those places. We need these people who are getting ready to be baptized shortly to have safe landing places. 
gift of presence. It's a real thing. Are you showing up? Are you present? I want to do this. I want to end our, our time right here with a prayer exercise. Can we do that? You know, we, one of the things we believe here at Sozo is that God really, really wants to communicate with each and every person here. You believe that? That God really sees you and he really, really wants to speak to you? Everything that we've talked about or that I've talked about so far may or may not stick, but, but what's, what we're getting ready to do, I pray it changes your life. Because one word from God, one word from heaven is all we need. And so here's what I want to do. I want us to just ask God something very, very simple. And I'm going to ask you where you're sitting to just ask God that. And then just wait a moment. And let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart. And the first question is simply this. Let, let me say it this way. Jesus is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, every one of those stories that we looked at in Scripture here, Jesus is the hero of it. He's the one who is the glue that holds every relationship together. If you want to have garden friends and you don't have Jesus in the very center of that thing, can I tell you what? It, it's a futile exercise in trying to get a bunch of strong-minded or acquiescing people together because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And so I think the first thing is is to invite Jesus into the equation. Will you agree? So I want you to simply pray this prayer. Just ask this question of the Lord. Lord, have I surrendered to Jesus as my Savior and as my source of life. Just ask that question. I want you with your mouth, with your lips, I want you to ask God that question. Am I born again of the Spirit? Now, how many of you felt like you, you heard the Holy Spirit say something to you just then as you waited? Can I see your hands? Okay. Simple, simple question. God, am I, have I surrendered to Jesus? Okay. What did the Holy Spirit say to you? Next question is this. God, who have you placed in my life to be a garden friend for me? And ask him this question. 
What's my next step this week? How many of you felt the Holy Spirit say that you were needed to surrender your heart to Jesus? Can I see your hands? Okay. Amen. That's good. I, I'm assuming we're family. I think that's a starting point, don't you? Yeah. Surrender to Jesus. It's not, it's, it's not whatever many things you might think it is. I need a good church, sign some paper. It's Jesus, I surrender my life to you as King of kings and Lord to lords of my life. To be my life source. Holy Spirit, live in and through me. I want you to be my source of life. What's your next step? For some of you, the Lord might have said, you know what? I've heard, you, I've heard Steve say baptism quite a few times this morning. Holy Spirit, do I need to be baptized? Maybe that's your next step. See, I think the Lord loves to communicate with us. Amen? Now, here's what I'm gonna ask us to do. I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. And I want you just to extend your hands like this. And I want you just to say simply, Lord, I receive. That's it. I receive. Whatever he said to you, I receive it, Lord. And here's what we're gonna do now. We're gonna give back to him. We're gonna release back to him the glory that's due him, right? That's called worship. Amen? Y'all wanna worship a little bit? Let's just sing back to the Lord. Amen? Let's do it.